this week on The Startup Life. You know, there's a lot of people who are in the sneaker market. Thankfully, the sneaker market is expected to grow dramatically, but why would anyone need another sneaker? So you have to have a reason for them to need another sneaker. And what makes your sneaker worthwhile to buy? How do you stand apart from the competition? All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with Maria Pessin, founder of Vibe Consulting. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own look, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We got a big time guest in the building today. We have Maria Pessin here in the building of Vibe Consultant. How's it going, Maria? It's going great. How's it going with you? It is going just fine, just fine. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? Yes, I'm brimming with knowledge. I'm Let's, ready to start. Let's do it. As always, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is brought to you by the Binge Podcast Network. So, Maria, first things first, let's get this thing started off right. Tell us about your path of entrepreneurship, and I believe your story starts in Brooklyn, doesn't it? It does. I born and raised in Brooklyn. Okay. At a time prior to all of the modern conveniences we have now. I mean, we didn't have horses, I will say that. We still <laughs> had cars, and yeah. we still had telephones and electricity too. But we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have computers. We only had like five channels on TV. Gotcha. It was a different time and women um, in that era did not have careers. It was just very unusual gotcha. and my family which was a blue-collar family and I'm one my father's one of ten and my mother's one of four so it's a pretty extended family Wow and they were the youngest so it's there was a lot of history before that no one went to college until I went to college gotcha and no one had a career no none of the women did anyway and the men were blue-collar workers that's what they did they were firemen builders um, sanitation workers as you know, a lot of Italians are, and um, <laughs> and that's what you know I come from. So here I am. I'm the oldest of four children, and it's the late '60s, early '70s, and I I'm a feminist. Why do I have to wash the dishes? Why can't the boys wash the dishes? I hear that. Yeah, and when my father would go out on jobs, he was a superintendent. I say, take me with you so I could learn. And he said, no, that's not for a girl. But I always wanted a career, and I decided to follow that path. And they humored me. They patted me on the head and said, okay, sounds good, Marie. I said, I'm going to be rich. That's my plan. I hear that. You know, tapped me on the head. And then I started to get into, I went into college. I graduated from FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology, 
which is one of the top colleges in fashion in the whole world, if not the top. It's considered very highly rated. Gotcha. And I went there and I had no contacts. I had no knowledge. I didn't even know anything about business. I knew you used, when I was a kid, I'd play business. And I, all I knew is you used paper and pens. Gotcha. And that's all I knew. So I get papers and pens together and I would be in business. But then I really went into business and I did it without any help from anyone because I had no contact. I had no knowledge. So some people start at the bottom. I always tease that I started below the bottom. I had to work to get to the bottom. And then I went from there and every job I had built on the job I had before I was never so concerned about the money. I figured the money would come. I was more concerned about what I would learn and how I would grow and get promoted in each position. I worked my way up till I was um, a division president at a company called G3 Apparel Group, which is a multi, multi, multi-million dollar business. Absolutely. Oh, you're familiar with them? They, uh, through my research, I kind of looked them up a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. Yes, I and mean, when I started there, it was much smaller. Gotcha. It was maybe a $40 million company. So it was wow. much, maybe not even that. So I launched a division called Sienna Studio. We sold to stores like Neiman's, Saks, Bloomingdale's, 800 specialty stores. And I it started with my vision, my styling. Um, I hired the whole team and I was responsible for everything down to P&L. And I ran that at from zero to multi-million dollar business, and I ran it for 17 years. After that, I got a job as president <laughs> of Jessica Simpson. Coach. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Absolutely. And we were the first license to sign up, and even though it was a brand, at the time we started, we were the first ones. And if you know anything about celebrity branding, a lot of them don't work out, but this one did. Okay. And we built this. This is more moderately priced, so we sold mostly to Nordstrom's, Dillard's, Macy's, stores of that ilk. And about six years ago, I decided that I wanted to have my own business, but I didn't want to have inventory. I had once had a store in um, an area of New York that's very touristy, mm -hmm. called Wyack. And I had this store, and it was. I started it, it was doing great, and then the market crashed the buildings came down home mm. towers came down and just right. killed the business so i knew i didn't want to have a business that was reliant upon inventory and overhead but i loved what i do i love working in the fashion business i love the business of fashion and fashion to me is my art and that's the art that i express myself in so then I decided to start consulting and working with people who are startups or small businesses that need help navigating the waters, that don't know really where to start or they have started, but they're having some hiccups along the way. Sure. I help them and I consult with them and help them get to the next level in their business. It's very sales driven even though we look at every part of the business because you can't just look at sales without looking at all the components that the product is right the usp is there absolutely the pricing value is correct the logistics are correct the margins are correct there's so much that goes into a business that a lot of 
new people or small businesses don't really know. And I help them do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And we're actually going to dive into a little bit of that last part about the business sense and stuff about that just a little bit. But I want to go back just for a little bit to kind of get your take on something. Now, you've had this amazing career. You went to to uh, FIT, like you said, and graduated from there. And then you were at Fleet Street and G3 Apparel Group, like you said earlier. So I want to know, and then before you started at Vibe, I want to know, what did you learn from your worst boss, mentor, or teacher you've ever had? That is such a funny question because I always feel like I learned more from those people than I did from the, it's not really true, but I did learn a lot from the people who were not great bosses. Gotcha, gotcha. And I learned, you know, good things as well. When I was at G3, the um, CEO of the company was very sales driven, very not into design as much as he was into um, profit and and sales so he was very poor at building brands he would start to build a brand and then he would sell it discounted to all the discounters and no one would want to buy it and so I learned the opposite of what to do in branding before that I was um, a salesperson at a company where it was called Sonia Riquiel Knits. It was a secondary line for Sonia Riquiel, who's out of Paris. Mm-hmm. And it was a hot line because it was a hot name at the time. And we were kind of new to this arena because very few people did diffusion lines like this. And they wanted it to be very exclusive and they were turning people away that they didn't feel was the right stores for them. Mm-hmm. So they were really focused on what they were going to do. And what happened was they bought the merchandise, sold it out in three weeks and said, oh my God, we can make a lot of money here. Let's double the inventory level and see how much more business we can develop. Now, keep in mind, we were sending people away. So now we had to call people to come back who we wouldn't agree to sell to. Wow. This time. And so it was a fiasco. The line bombed in two years. And what I learned from that wasn't so much just about the branding and and they should have taken their money and slowly built it and not try to be this overnight success. But what I learned was that the vice president in charge of the division should have told the owner it was a mistake. And I learned that from that boss and he was, I mean, this was the eighties. He was um, doing drugs and, you know, coming into work at one o'clock in the afternoon. So he oh, had- wow. Okay issues but yeah i see (laughs) the big issue was that he wouldn't tell the owner this is a mistake and i believe that as a manager that it's your responsibility to tell your bosses what you think and not just yes them to death i mean my last boss and this is the real reason why i decided to go into business for myself he was we were building this business really well and they were starting to build the Jessica Simpson brand very well as also. Mm-hmm. We wanted to, um, we had to sign the third time around because you sign your licensing agreements every couple of years and they wanted to raise the minimum amount of orders that we would agree to take. And my boss wouldn't do it. And I said, you're going to lose the license. And he insisted not to do it and so they he lost the license and then he said okay tell him i'll do it 
and it wow. was too late. And I was just so tired. Like he, this business should have been double, triple what it was, but he was always priced too high and stuff. And I was just tired of working for people who didn't really know what they were doing and were blowing my businesses. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And, and startup nation, you know, uh, Maria brings up an interesting point because Maria, I actually just finished reading. I don't know if you're familiar with the book, uh, team of rivals, uh, about Abraham Lincoln and his cabinet and stuff That's like that. I didn't read that. Sounds interesting. It's very interesting because it talks about, you know, a large part of his cabinet or a big chunk of his cabinet were people that he ran against in the Republican primary for president. And he put them in places of secretary of war and attorney general. But it, it speaks to what you were talking about, about having that red team, not just having yes men, people that will challenge you and tell you like, look, that's not a good idea. And, and we'll always, and I feel like that makes you a better leader, a better entrepreneur in that regard. So I appreciate you sharing that for sure. You're welcome. Thank you. No worries. No worries. So on your website, Maria, you, you know, you highlight that many fashion entrepreneurs do not make it no matter how talented they are due to not understanding certain fundamentals. You highlight a doctrine that they must understand business sense, uniqueness, and sales. How did you come up to the conclusion that those were the elements that, fa that all fashion entrepreneurs need to master? Was it trial by fire? Did it come to you from a mentor? Where does that come from? You know, there's no one place I get my information. Okay. I okay. read a lot. I read a lot. I'm uh, a voracious reader since I'm eight years old. And it's not just novels. It's business books. It's educational information. It's self, you know, help books as well. But I read everything. So um, I learned from that. I learned from people. I learned from experiences. So it's not any one place that I can say that I've learned it. To me, learning is something that you should always be doing. And one of my core values is to always be growing as an individual. So I don't want to be done until I'm dead. I want to keep going. And to me, that's a big part of growing as an individual is to keep learning. Things change. You know, what was true yesterday isn't true today. You have to stay current. And, you know, having a unique selling proposition is so important because there's so much out there, you know, vying for people's dollars. When I was a kid, what did we buy? We didn't buy anything. We went, um, we didn't buy cell phones. We didn't buy computers. We hardly ever went out to dinner. You know, your parents took you out to dinner on a special occasion a couple of times a year, and that was it. Right. So you hardly had anything vying for your money besides clothes. Clothes was the big thing, and people spent a lot of money on clothes. But now you can buy clothes. You can buy an Alexa. You can buy a gym membership. You can go out to dinner four days a week. There's so many things vying for your attention and for your money so that there isn't as much spent on clothing and clothing when i was starting in the business was a very easy business you could start it you could work two nickels together and you could be in business i mean i knew people who started their businesses out of their trunks and that's how they started their business and they grew them into substantial businesses nowadays you can't be just okay you have to be excellent and you have to have a reason to be where you shine from all the noise 
I have um, clients that do all sorts of things from athleisure to uh, high-end sneakers, sportswear, all different kinds of companies. And they're in businesses. Sneakers is hardly a new business. Let's right. face it. You know, there's a lot of people who are in the sneaker market. Thankfully, the sneaker market is expected to grow dramatically, but why would anyone need another sneaker? So you have to have a reason for them to need another sneaker. And what makes your sneaker worthwhile to buy? How do you stand apart from the competition? Absolutely. That differentiation you talk about is very key. Thank you for sharing that for sure. Sure. So important. And it's not even just the what's different about you it's communicating that in all of your marketing tools and all of your all of your social media all of your pr outreach all of that is important gotcha communicate it gotcha thank you for sharing that now you know maria you have an ebook on your website uh vibeconsulting.co and startup nation you can get that ebook from that website once again it's vibe consulting Dot co. We have a link in the show notes for easy access. Uh, you start the book saying something that I thought was very interesting. You say that the fashion industry is not like Silicon Valley. Why was it important for you to make that distinction? Because everybody thinks buying programming or computers or technology is so exciting. Okay. The exciting thing that people want to be a part of. You show anything technological and people sit up and notice and want to take part in it. So that's where all the glamour is right now. Mm, and, sure. I think, and I think it's more there than in fashion. That's why tech stocks do better than fashion stocks because there's um, a lot of value in the story of the business. So, you know, some companies are worth five times their sales. Some right. are worth 10 times, some are worth 15. But the multiples are higher with techno- technological stocks. For sure. Every day. For sure, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. I, I was just kind of fascinated why you wanted to make that distinction, but I appreciate you sharing that for sure. Now, also in the book, you know, you give tons of great advice about, you know, from fashion entrepreneurs can learn from. However, you know, and you have multiple things. You have uh, apparel products must have a good fit and it's easier to launch a a product, uh, launch a made in America product. But there's one that kind of stuck out to me that I wanted to ask you about. It's number four. And it says your samples have to be top notch. Why is that important for you to highlight? Oh, my God. You have no idea how important that is. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's a good topic to bring up because... There, again, there's a lot competing for people's dollars. So right. when you sell to stores and you sell to buyers, they have to really justify buying you. They can't just test you easily and hope it works out. And if it doesn't work out, no biggie. Every dollar really counts now. So since everybody is very conservative about buying product and buying new product, mm-hmm. if samples and you bring them to them and you say well this is the wrong color it'll be in this color or this i know it doesn't fit right but we're going to fix that or i know you know it's three inches too short but we're going to make it longer a lot of times people will say well you know what when you get it fixed you show it to me because there's just too many times that the 
corrected product never comes through the way they describe it. So they're very gun shy to buy things that aren't looking as pristine as they can. Mm. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing. It's like photography. You know, if you show photography and your photography is terrible, right? Mediocre, you will not be as successful. These are your calling cards. Absolutely. Things that people use to make a decision about you. So you want all your ducks in a row. You want your sample to be as correct as possible. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And Startup Nation, Maria shares a very important point on your path to entrepreneurship. Because even when you're giving out samples or a uh, a sample product or you give a complimentary service that you want to give out for free, it should be just as good as the original as if they're paying for it. Because just like Maria said, it's your calling card and people are going to remember that. I appreciate you sharing that for sure, Maria. You're welcome. No worries. No worries. So let me ask you this, because, you know, as we engage on the path of entrepreneurship, we always have those those stumbling blocks and we have things that don't really go our way. So I want to know before you, you know, what do you wish you would have known before you started Vibe Consulting? Interesting question and a very good question. I believe that no business starts where it ends. Hmm. You know, you right. start when you have a concept and it evolves over time because you learn what sells, what doesn't sell, what people respond to, what works better, your marketing evolves. So part of being a business owner is knowing that that's going to be part of the path and being comfortable with that. I recently posted something on Instagram and it shows success with a line, this is what people think success is, and they show an arrow going up on a straight mm-hmm. diagonal. Right. And then next to it is the picture, this is what success really is. And you see all scribbles and scrabbles and rounds and ups and downs until they get to the top. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> That's really the truth. It doesn't, there's no straight line. So it's not so much that what did I wish I would do? I mean, yeah, there are certain things I wish I would have tweaked better, like my processes and um, my home marketing. I wish I had done differently. You know, those are things that I wish I'd done, but you really don't know until you do it. One of the things I did do that I thought really did make a difference was I hired a consultant who was a consulting expert. So he worked with consult. He was a consultant working with consultants to build their business because I'd never done consulting before. I'd been doing fashion for many, many years, but I never did consulting. So I didn't want to have to figure it out on my own. I wanted to cut out a lot of the learning curve that goes along with it. And I hired someone who really helped me to figure it out and how to do it. And he, it made a difference. So it saved me time and ultimately money and profitability because I basically was profitable from the very beginning. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so I want to shift gears just a little bit because Maria, look, I, I, I have no fashion sense. So uh, I'm actually curious about something. I've, it's something I've always been curious about when it comes to fashion. Now you have a blog and once again, Startup Nation, if you want to check out Maria's blog, it's also on vibeconsulting.co the show note uh, the link is there in the show notes for easy access uh you, on your on the blog you have a post where it talks about the latest fashion trends for for 2019 and i've always been curious about like who determines 
what the fashion trends are for, you know, 2019 or 2020 and like who determines that? I'm always curious about, about that. Like who determines that? We have this crystal ball that we hold in in an undisclosed location in Paris. Understood. Oh, it's in Paris. Got it. Got it. That's where it is. Being in Paris, you know, they're in the center of things. Truthfully, it's it's a combination of so many things. There are trend services who all they do is to figure out what the trends are going forward. It's a combination of things. It's a combination of what has gone before. So what's the next natural progression of fashion based on the fashion for the last season, the season before, based on um, buying patterns of customers, based on um, movies that come out and culture and social media and Mm -hmm. all of the life things that are happening that people are are paying attention to. So um, I always think of the movie Out of Africa as a perfect example. Okay. When Out of Africa came out, all this safari kind of look was very big. Mm-hmm. So, you know, culture, social media, social life, um, arts, all of that affects fashion and that comes into place as well hey startup nation i want to chime in with a reflection point i know we haven't done these in a while but i want to start to get back in the habit of it because i think this is a really important point what maria talks about when she talks about trends brings up an excellent point when it comes to collecting customer data we know data uh, and data science has become a very popular and intriguing thing when it comes to not just big businesses and small businesses but what I mean in particular in this particular instance because look your customers are telling you what they want they are telling you what they like they're doing it not just through the purchases they're telling you through social media they're telling you on all different types of avenues and mediums so remember when you make that purchase or that sales startup nation in your business that you, the work isn't over. Ask for those feedback, you know, give them a feedback form to kind of give like, hey, what did you like about it? What made you make this decision with our company or organization as opposed to my competitor? Like I said, Startup Nation, your customer is giving you the information and it's very important for you to do the work after the sale or the purchase or whatever to leverage that information for your benefit and your benefit moving forward. But also, just like Maria said, paying attention to those cultural trends, those things that are going out there in pop culture, on social media and everything else. But but believe me, Startup Nation, paying attention to that customer data and, and acquiring that customer data can give you the leverage over your competition. Let's get back to Maria. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. It's something I've always been curious about. Now, my next question, uh, I have to kind of set it up a little bit, so bear with me. Uh, so in 2016, I came, uh, well, I came across an article from 2016, uh, complex.com, in which it talks about uh, Virgil Abloh. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with him. Uh, how people are connecting or were connecting with his brand of just using diagonal uh, lines and he was finding success with it. And in that feature, you were actually quoted as the saying, quote, people like to buy things from people they feel a connection to. Creating that connection is always a smart idea. So you definitely want to do that. So my question is this. Uh, years ago, you know, as you know, as long as you made a great product that people needed or just wanted, you had a successful brand. But now in this age of social media, it's so heavily involved with brands now. It seems like it's absolutely a must uh, that you that 
in order for your brands to be successful, you have to have this type of level of engagement with your target audience. Is that true or, oh or God, not so it's much? So true. Oh, okay. absolutely. It's so true. Okay. Now, outside a few instances where I've seen it happen in my own experience, I was once in a supermarket and um, these kids were with their parents. They must have been, I don't know, four or five years old. They were little. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember the show Something in Cody. Um, not not familiar with it, no. It was like a little kid show, and it was these twin boys who were like eight years old, and their mother runs a hotel, and they're in the hotel. And it was a very popular show for kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about now. You just reminded me. Yes. Yes, I just can't remember the other kid's name. So... I think it might have been Zach. I feel like it was Zach and Cody. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it was Zach and Cody. Anyway, I'm in the supermarket, and there's Zach and Cody yogurt. Wow. And the little kids saw it and said, oh, mommy, we have to get this. That's Zach and Cody. We have to get this. And she said, you don't even know if you like yogurt. And they said, but it's Zach and Cody. Mm. Wow. That's interesting. Isn't that powerful? I mean, yeah, at a that's very, very powerful. conditioned. I'll tell you another story. Do you remember Tom's? It's yes. I, yes, yeah. I and do. Tom's shoes has been around for a while now. I think they're ugly, but don't go by me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my daughter, who was a teenager at the time that they came out, um, was very into it. She said, Mom, they donated a pair of shoes to people who don't have shoes in Africa for every pair of shoes they sell. I want to get this. Mm. And she bought a pair of those ugly shoes because they were giving it away. And it's like Crocs also. You know, Crocs are ugly as far as I'm concerned. Right. People have a emotional connection to what they stand for. It's ergonomic. It's comfortable. It's got... um, you know, it's cool to them. It's cool. It's colorful. So they have a connection to that, that um, they love it and they just get enamored with it. And those are the connections that get people to buy now. It's not enough just to have a brand. They want to like you and like what you stand for. It's another reason why sustainable is selling so well. Because people want to feel that they're making a difference in the world. And especially millennials, they feel that this is something they need to stand for as a generation. So there's a lot of different ways to get that emotional connection. But it makes a whole big difference in what you do when you do have something that you stand for, that people like, and that they relate to. Got you. Thank you for sharing that, for sure. It it really does speak to the evolution of business, the evolution of entrepreneurship, and the evolution of branding. So I I definitely wanted to ask you that. Good. It's a good question. Thank you. Uh, Last question before we go to break. Entrepreneurs consider themselves lifelong learners, always engaged in constant professional development. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? Are you reading books? Are you listening to podcasts? What what is Maria learning right now? Oh, my God. There's so many things. Um, Right now, I have a book. The name of the book is called Over Deliver. By Brian Kurtz. Okay. This for a lifetime playing the long game in direct response marketing. I also, that's one thing I'm doing. Another thing I'm doing is I'm taking a course, a marketing course, 
um, that's over six weeks where I learn um, about a particular form of marketing. Additionally, in the mornings before I get started, I watch podcasts or YouTube videos that teach me different things. It could either be business, it could be self-discipline, it could be, you know, how to be better at, um, I don't know, working out, something. Gotcha. It could be For anything, sure. but it's always, so I do three things. So I watch videos, listen to podcasts, read books, and take courses, and I do it all at once. Gotcha. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How do you like being on the startup life so far? I love it. Are you kidding? This is so fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're getting great value from Maria's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. business owner the startup life reach is growing wouldn't you like your business to grow with it reach out to us to advertise on the startup life you can reach us at 901-857-4818 or you can email me at dominic at askalsolutions.com i mean don't get me wrong like this is a great music to have break on but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music but your business being advertised on it need more content from the startup life you say you can now sign up for the startup life all access pass on the binge podcast network's patreon page there is exclusive content written by yours truly video content where i share even more of my business philosophies and whatever crazy content i can think of out of that crazy head of mine and at only five dollars a month yeah five dollars a month this is more content for you startup nation to really get ahead of your competition so instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship click the link in the show notes to sign up all right startup nation so let's continue so Maria, if you would, please, ma'am, tell us a little bit about Vibe Consulting and how did you come up with the name? Ooh, you know, I don't have the best memory sometimes. <laughs> okay, no worries. No worries. What was I thinking of when I came up with that name? <laughs> Actually, no, I'm just being facetious. When gotcha. I first started, I had a partner, a very okay. good friend of mine. We were, we've been friends since we were in high school together. Okay. While we never had a fight we fought every day in business mm. <laughs> two different personalities and we were just different it wasn't a good partnership but we came up with that name together and we liked it we wanted um it to have a hipness to it a modern vibe to it and that's how we came up with vibe gotcha gotcha and tell us a little bit about what vibe does and the things you do there well there's a, a couple of things that I okay do. One of the things is that I consult with people 
or coach them depending on the level of involvement that I take. When I consult, I actually am doing work with them. And what that means is I evaluate their business from the bottom up. I look at their merchandising, their styling, their pricing, their value proposition, mm. their margins, shipping, marketing materials, and we come up with a strategy to either come up with that because they may not have that yet or develop that to be more successful. Because usually people come to me for two reasons. Either they're starting and they're not sure what to do or they started but it's not going well and they need help to get it right. And I bring all of that experience that I have to helping them turn it around. I've run several businesses. They've all been profitable, successful businesses. So because of that, I take that experience and I bring that to them and help them also um, put together a sales and marketing plan. I don't do every single thing. I'm not a PR person, I'm not a salesperson, but I have people on my team who do that. So we outsource and I help them manage um, the marketing and sales part of the business too. And everything is about moving the needle forward. How are we going to make sales? How are we going to make more sales? How are we going to be profitable? Because bottom line is those are the goals of any company. And, you know, I always ask them what their goals are. And they usually tell me things like, well, I want to have a line ready to show in January. I want to have 17 styles and I want them to have four colors in each. And I said, that's not a goal. That's a task. Mm. You know, that's something that you need to do to get to your goal. But what is your goal? And they're always afraid to say a goal that has real measurable results. They always want to vague it out. So Mm -hmm. I make them really say, do you want to do a million dollars in sales in two years? You know, what is your actual goal dollar wise? Do you want to sell 20 stores around the country? Do you want to have um, an international business where you sell 30 stores? So you know what they say with smart goals. And um, I'll let you tell your audience what SMART stands for. I'm trying to remember the acronym verbatim. That's why I'm putting it on you because I always forget it exactly. I believe it's specific, measurable, attainable, realistic. And timely. Timely. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. Two of those things are specific and timely. So gotcha. yes, you want to sell 20 stores, but do you care if it takes you 50 years or you know 50 days? So that's why timely is important. So um, we come up with goals that we work towards achieving. If we're not achieving it, we course correct because like I said, nothing's a straight line. We do a lot of testing and um, see how the results are and modify according to the tests that we do. Um, some people I do the work with them. Some people just want me to coach them and they do the work and I do that as well. Additionally, I started a membership site, which is going to be open again in a few weeks. And it's a membership site for people who want to learn each month parts about the business that will help them to be more efficient They also have access to me. They email me and ask me questions whenever they want. If they need to jump on a call on occasion, we do that. We also have webinars and newsletters that I send out each month. So there's a lot of information in that, and it's much more 
cost effective for a lot of people. And you know, funny thing is some of my people who I do consulting with or coaching with also belong to the membership site because then they also have community, people to bounce ideas off of. So part of what happens in this industry is that in any industry, any entrepreneur, you kind of feel isolated when you first start out because you're by yourself or you have one or two people. Chances are you start out in your home or in a very small office where you don't have people to talk with, to bounce ideas off of, to commiserate with. And this gives them a community of people that they can talk to and say, has this ever happened to you? What did you do in this situation? We all need that. I have people that I talk to on a regular basis saying, you know, what do you think of this? And, you know, we come to each other's aids and we come, you know, we're part of a community. Well, this puts a community in place for small businesses to go to, to talk to offering that in a few weeks. So if you send, sign up for my um, book, you'll get yes. notification when it's open again. Absolutely. And once again, Startup Nation, uh, you can get that on viveconsulting.co. The link is there in the show notes for easy access. One thing I wanted to ask you, Maria, really quickly, is that like I see on your website that you have testimonials, and I just kind of want to read one of them. Uh, because it, it seems like, you know, you, you really do hold your clients feet to the fire, which I think is a good thing. So one of the, uh, I'm laughing because I really do. I'm their accountability partner. And I, and I think that's important. I think that's very important. Uh, one of them is from Karen Garst. I want to read it. It says thoughtful, genuine, straightforward, knowledgeable, and genuine. Maria Pesson embodies all of these qualities and more. She has been a valuable part of my journey through the fashion world and will be a worthy travel companion for anyone else looking to navigate the fashion landscape. So when you hear, you know, a testimonial like Karen Garst, it really seems like you're, you're really providing something that really means something to people. What does that mean to you that you're really providing that value that means stuff that means something to people? You know, it's funny. I was telling this to someone recently and I hope this doesn't come across in an egotistic way, but I always think that when I sign somebody up that they're lucky to have found me. I hear that. And I feel that way because I know how much I want to give to each person that I work with. I want to be so valuable. I want them to be so successful. You know, some people say, oh, you can only call me, you know, three times a month. And, you know, they put a lot of restrictions on the amount of input that they'll give. But I, I really don't. I am, I work sometimes on the weekends with people. I um, do shows for them. I fly to places for them. I might meet buyers for them. Even though those are outside of my areas of purview, mm -hmm. I really do give 110% to each client that I have. And I know so many people who, you know, work a different way and, you know, that's the way they work and that's fine. But I know that I gear all of my knowledge. I want to teach them everything I know. Got you. That's my goal is to teach them. And I tell them that I want to make you so successful that when your daughter gets married, you invite me to the wedding. I hear that. <laughs> I hear that for sure. Thank you for sharing that. So Maria, indulge me here a little bit. 
because you were talking about, you know, working in the fashion industry in the 80s and stuff like that. So I'm curious about, you know, how the entrepreneur dresses today for like meetings and speaking engagements, stuff like that, compared to the 80s. The reason I ask is because I guess I'm fascinated how things evolve. So if you would just kind of share with me how entrepreneurs dressed in the 80s as opposed to now. Well, in the 80s, we wore suits. We were more put together. You know, we never wore jeans to work. That's gotcha. We never wore sneakers. You know, that would just have been a no-no. So we were definitely more dressed up. But that was also a product of the fashion of the times. Mm-hmm. You, know, things, you know, there was the Donna Karen power suit that people wore and they felt like, you know, they could take on the world when they wore that suit because they were so hip and cool and put together and polished they look like a million dollars. Right. Over the years, things have gotten much more casual. You know that athleisure, are you familiar with that term? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. For those of you who don't know what that is, it means it's sports clothes that you could wear in the gym or playing yoga and then wear it throughout the day and you don't have to change your clothes. So a lot of people wear leggings and T-shirts and jeans and sneakers to work in a way that they didn't before. But I have a feeling that's going to change again because I think people are kind of tired of not feeling, you know, they're most put together and they want to be a little bit more classy, you know, polished, whatever the words are. And so I think it's going to go back to more dressed up, more put together, more suits. In fact, they're showing suits a lot more on the runway. So you're seeing that change. So it's a combination of the way we're living and the fashion of the times. But, you know, you see people go to work in jeans. I resisted it forever. I wouldn't let my team wear jeans. And then every other division let their people wear jeans. So I was like, okay, I can't be such a brat that I can't let my people wear jeans. You know, stuff like that. So, you know, I'm, in some ways I'm very modern. I'm always up to date. But in other ways, I'm old fashioned. Gotcha. And I have some old fashioned values. Gotcha. So fashion in a lot of ways can be kind of cyclical in that regard to where it's one way, then it kind of changes in no way and to another way and then kind of goes back to that, the way yeah, in the past. It goes back the exact same way it was. Gotcha. Um, One of the trends that I'm seeing, and this isn't just fashion, this is something different. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of cursing. Okay. In social media, in any kind of marketing, a lot of bloggers use curse words. I mean, it's all over the place. Right. What you read and what you see. And when I was, you know, for the first 30 years, that was not done. And I still won't do it because I find it to be, you know. Gotcha. I just don't like cursing and, you know, it's just, you come off poorly. And I know they do it to be different and, you know, shock and all of that stuff. But I don't, I think it just makes you sound stupid to tell you the truth. So I don't believe in it. But that's a, um, a more casual way of speaking, you know, with emails coming into play. None of the letters with, you know, the full business address and, you know, the full signatures on any letters anymore. So there's a casualness to everything we do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, when, when you talk about the cursing in ads and stuff like that, I think about uh, that, the, this hot sauce with the, with the grandma on her time. I put that on everything. 
And so that, that's what <laughs> made me, it makes me think of that for sure. I want to kind of change gears just a little bit. So you were talking earlier about, you know, the Zach and Cody yogurt, uh, if you will. And if there are any Zach and Cody fans or if we're getting any of this wrong, please forgive us. But uh, you were talking about the branding and people and, and associating the yogurt with, or, you know, or products with a certain celebrity and stuff like that. So I kind of want to ask about an uh, article that was in footwearnews.com back in 2017. Uh, and it was the focus was on Melania Trump and, and people in the fashion world styling her and stuff like that. And in that article, you were quoted as, we're not talking about an imprisoned, you know, Charles Manson here. We're talking about a woman who speaks five different languages, who conducts herself very nicely and is a good mother. Because I think the, the focus of the article was talking about should people in the, in the fashion world style her because of, you know, who her, uh, her husband is, the president of the United States, Donald Trump? Or I should they? This article, sure. Yeah, for sure. Like, should they style or should they not? So I think it brings up an interesting point. You know, what are the steps a fashion designer should take when determining if somebody is a good representation for their brand? Well, values. Gotcha. Um, you know, if you have someone that's representing you that doesn't, for example, let me give you an example. For sure. Say your brand is sustainable. And the um, people are, um, you know, hunting rhinos, you know, for their horns. They wouldn't gotcha. be a good match for you. So you wouldn't want to have someone that was outside of the values that you represent as a company. So that's an important thing when you look at a celebrity. But the truth is celebrities, there's a reason why people use celebrities for advertising. They get results. People notice the ads. They notice the podcast or the Instagram shots. I mean, they notice that. And you see actual sales happening from those ads. There's, like I talked about Kim Kardashian before. Mm -hmm. You know, from what I understand, I don't know if this is the exact amount, she charges upwards of a half a million dollars to post something for a line. Um, people wouldn't pay her that if she didn't get that or better results on what she posts about. For sure. um, I have a client who's in Armenia and Kim Kardashian is Armenian. So she was in Armenia um, a few years back and a restaurant wanted her to eat at their place. And they, um, she ate there twice for $40,000 a pop. Wow. That's wow. <laughs> just, to eat dinner, just to get a free, they paid her to feed her. Right. <laughs> That's that, that. That is, you know, well, well I mean, I, I think it, 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 you know, it, anybody who knows Kim K knows the, the power that she has, especially from a branding standpoint, for sure. So I appreciate you sharing that. It really makes, that's why Jessica, Sim, listen, Jessica Simpson wasn't a slam dunk. No celebrity brand is. Gotcha. They have to really manage their whole persona to get the results that they want to get. But they also have to do a good job. They can't promote things that are terrible. Right. They can't have lines that don't work out. There were several companies that worked with Jessica Simpson that weren't successful. Um, I, there was a swimwear they went through two or three um, people before they found a good one. Same thing with lingerie. So it didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen with everything, but they were so well managed as a brand and they really, really stayed on top of every detail in order to ensure success 
and now it's a major successful brand. And the truth is, she's not that famous anymore. Right. And it's still a great brand. I mean, when I started working with her, she was like number 40 on the Forbes list. Mm. But she's one of those famous for being famous people. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, let me ask you this, Maria. I believe all entrepreneurs have a superpower. What's yours and why? Okay. Well, I love to speak. Okay. I love to talk. I love to communicate. I love conversations. In fact, I like it better than writing. So I much prefer to speak to people. And because of that, I'm a pretty darn good salesperson. I can tell. Yeah. Sure, I can tell. And let me tell you something. It's not about talking my way through the sales. It's about making sense when I sell something. So I don't sell people product that they're not going to be successful with, both in my business and also in the clothing brands that I represented. I always sold to stores that sold the product well and made money. So I'm not just selling just for selling's sake. I'm selling something that brings value to people. So that's what I think my superpower is. Gotcha. I hear that. Thank you so much. And before I ask my last question, Maria, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Start of Life podcast, powered by the Binge Podcast Network. You've been an absolute blast, you know, sharing everything from fashion to business and everything in between. But right now, I actually want to give the microphone to you. I want to give you the opportunity to talk directly to Startup Nation. Maria, there's an entrepreneur out there who, who needs your help. They need some words of encouragement today. They're either afraid to start their business or they feel stuck in the business that they're currently in. Give them some words of wisdom right now to, to tell them that it's okay to move forward. Well, you don't get anywhere if you don't start. You have to get started, even if it's not perfect. So many times people look for perfection and there's no such thing as perfection. So there's a saying called ready, fire, aim. I don't know if you've heard that term, but it means get ready, fire, you know, pull the trigger and then aim, meaning course correct on the way because you'll never be perfect and you learn the most by doing. So. Just do it, just get started, whatever that looks like. Start with a business plan. Start with fleshing out what the business looks like, but get started. And if things aren't going the way that you want them to, then you course correct. When I started my business, I didn't have a plan B because my idea was plan A was going to work no matter what. That was it. I wasn't going to do anything else. I wasn't going to give this six months or, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll try something different. This was going to work. So I started it and I have, and I always do, and everybody always does. You have ups and downs. Nothing goes smoothly. There's always something. You're renovating a house and a pipe burst. You're um, going to Manhattan during rush hour and there's an accident on the street. That's life. Life is not perfect and, there's, and it's messy and businesses are messy. So you have to just know that that's part of the journey and just accept that it is part of the journey. I once worked for someone who said she never failed. And I thought to myself, she's either lying, and she has, or she's never pushed herself out of her comfort zone and tried things because failing is part of the journey. And, you know, there's another saying called fail forward. So fail and pick yourself up and do something else and, you know, adjust your, your process. 
you fail again, you do something else. That's going to happen. And if you accept that and know that, then you will be able to get past it on your way to a successful business. Thank you so much for that, Maria. And that's going to conclude this session of The Startup Life. Did you enjoy being on the show, Maria? Oh, my God, so much. <laughs> awesome stuff. You are awesome. terrific. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. There's two points from this episode with Maria Pesson that I really want you to really uh, remember, Startup Nation. The first one is stay current. Look, things, whether it be fashion, fast food, retail, it doesn't matter. Things change. And so Startup Nation is very important for you to very to stay current on the trend. So that way you can move along with your customer. And the better entrepreneurs, Startup Nation, are able to get ahead of that trend, ahead of those curves, and can anticipate those needs or wants before the customer even realizes they need them. The second thing, Startup Nation, is that it's important to stay fundamental. Maria, who is in the fashion space, brings this up as an excellent point. Because fashion and everything else, we always want to be with the go different and be super creative and stuff like that. But Startup Nation, you can't take care of the business if you're not being fundamental, knowing your numbers, knowing that you have cash flow and everything else in between. Because Startup Nation, because keeping the fundamentals intact allows you to be more and more creative and risky, control risk, if you will, uh, with your business. And that will propel your business forward. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, please send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as can be now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. Startup Nation, still here, huh? You like this extra content, don't you, at the end, huh? All right, here's some more for you. Early stage companies, the founders want to focus on, you know, fundraising, infrastructure, you know, partnerships, the, the big picture things, vision, uh, the actual product or service that they're building. Um, it's, it's really hard to spend time thinking about, like, how are you going to acquire more customers? How are you going to acquire more users? You know, how to how to make that whole process more efficient while dealing with the big picture. That startup nation is my good friend, Nick Petros, the founder of pinchforth.com. So subscribe to the Startup Life podcast on your favorite podcast platform. So that way, when that episode is uploaded with Nick, it'll be right there waiting for you. But until then, startup nation, get out of here. You got a company to grow.